Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lee's here with another exciting episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast. Uh, this one's going to go deep and it's going to go really interesting on some topics, particularly we're just going to throw it out there that, that misogyny and sexism, uh, we might even have some that goes in both directions, bi-directional a little bit. Um, but but before we jump into all that, uh, first we got to give a shout out to Lead411, our sponsor. Um, they do great things for us and um, for you to help find that lead intent data, direct dial phone numbers, all those kinds of things that you that you always want um, as a salesperson. So uh, without any further ado, um, and, and the cool part of this is we actually have Rachel first, right? It's in, And I might even go into an impression of Rachel works for Keenan. Rachel works at a sales guy, which also may be part of this conversation too, right? Because, you know, Keenan, what is up, man? You've got to change. You've got to change with the times. So uh, long wind up from Richard as always, but Rachel, thanks for coming on and, 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 and really thank you for talking about a, a pretty important topic uh, once we get to it. Thank you for having me. It's one thing I love about y'all. You always give a platform to like diverse voices and different ideas. Um, and you know, you don't really see a lot of that. You see a lot of people talking about the same things, but um, I'm really excited to be here and chat with y'all. We're, we're happy to have you. And I'm, I'm just excited to talk to somebody from super Northern California, like where I'm from. So we've talked about this before, Rachel, so. I know, right? NorCal for life, baby. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to Sacramento. Shout out to Sacramento. Sacramento. Oh. <laughs> So, so Rachel, like just from a background story, like, like just the quick version of, you know, when did you get into sales? When did you fall in love with sales? You know, just, just from a, a business perspective. Um, so I'm like, I was a theater major in college and, um, you know, coming from with a theater degree doesn't really uh, open the doors for a lot of um, business type of roles necessarily. Uh, but uh, so I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then this is going to age me a bit, but I literally saw an ad in the newspaper. <laughs> I'm like 107. Um, I saw an ad in, the, in a newspaper for like a sales manager for a credit card processing company. And I'd never done outside sales of any type. I was a leasing agent at an apartment complex. And um, so I applied for the job. They hired some other guy, but they uh, hired me to be like his assistant. <laughs> Cause of course they did. And, um, and the guy didn't make it past, like they put us in front of phones for like um, a week and said, make a hundred dials a day. And he didn't last the week. Like he made up some excuse about his grandma dying by Thursday. And, um, and so they had no choice but to give me the job. So my first sales role was a sales manager role and I had never sold before. I had no idea what credit card processing was. Um, and it was a startup when like startups like now it's called a startup and it sounds like fancy and cool but then it just meant like you had a shitty job and um but i got to just do everything right like i got to just do everything i got to build everything i got to build the processes the training do all the recruiting i was just completely by myself and um and i just i fell in love with every aspect of it so 
I've been telling Scott that every now and then we should just have a couple of people guest hosts because, you know, we need to go on vacation or whatever. And I think you're one of them. Like, you're one of those people. Like, you, that that line about a startup means, it just means it's a shoot. Like, we've all been there. We've all been there. Um, yeah, like, who decided it was cool? Like, right. that used to be like, you can't get a job at a real company, so you can't work for these crusty guys down the street. Well, it's not that much different than you can't get a real job, so you work in sales. Right. <laughs> so, so were you just again going into your backstory were you you know the competitive kid growing up you always liked to win did you have a side hustle as a as a as a grammar school person you know did your parents always say you should be in sales other than theater like yeah so when i was like eight years old i i'm an only child so i was bored quite frequently i think it's like being an only child is a great lead into sales because you don't have any friends and you don't have anyone to play with and so i would go around the neighborhood and i would knock on doors of strangers um i don't think you could do this now um but i would just knock on doors and be like do you have any kids and if they said yes i'd be like will they come outside and play with me and then i would create like these little groups of kids and i would always be the leader of the group and i would make them like enroll in my talent shows and then i would start charging other kids in the neighborhood to come to the talent shows and um, and one time I found a bunch of rocks and I started painting them and then I went door to door and sold them as paperweights. So yeah, I would say it's definitely in the blood. Wow. Yeah, you got started early. I'm just thinking about that we have these painted rocks around my neighborhood. Right. That I assume like kids have painted and just leave around for like inspiration and stuff. They write little messages on. I'm going to have my boys go around and collect them, Richard. And, and then, then sell them back and then to the, the owner. Them, sell them back. Yeah. Sell them back to the owner. There you go. I mean. Inspired, inspired but, by Rachel here. So, so, Rachel, we've talked to a couple of people who come out as uh, from theater and debate also is another popular one. Um, how do you feel like that's helped prepare you for sales? Because I, I think it does. I think it's pretty normal to think about yeah. it. What are a couple of things that you walked away going, oh, this is what I should be using this in sales? Well, I mean, there's the obvious things, right? That number one, if you're going to be, um, an actor or an actress at the core of that is empathy. It's um, being able to really be observe the behavior of others and tap into that, respond to their emotions um, in a very authentic way. So there's a certain understanding of like humanity and connection that you have to have if you're going to be enacting. Um, but I would say the biggest thing is rejection. So, you know, when you're, when you're an actor, you walk into auditions and you just get ripped to shreds, right? You're too tall, you're too short, you're, you're too this, you're too that, you're not enough this, um, or just complete dismissal. And so you really quickly develop a thick skin when it comes to rejection and you start to understand that it's not a rejection of you and, and most of the times it has nothing to do with your talent or your ability. It's just that you are not the right person at the right time for that right thing. And um, so when you learn that before you get into sales, it's much easier to deal with that reality of sales on a regular basis. Which hurts more, the rejection in sales or the rejection of the acting? Mm, the rejection of the acting, definitely. That would have been my guess as well. That would have been <laughs> why, why is that? That would have been my guess intuitively, but explain to everybody why. 
I think that when you get rejected in sales, ooh, this is interesting that this is where I went. Um, when you get rejected in sales, you don't necessarily believe that it's a rejection of your talents and abilities. And maybe you should. Um, but in when you're in acting and in an audition, your immediate reaction to that rejection is I suck and I'm not good enough. And it feels much more personal. Um, in sales, I think we really easily deflect that rejection to, you know, the customer or the time or all these other things and not necessarily attributing that to us personally or our abilities. So I wonder if I may challenge you for a second, I wonder if that's because for most people they're selling a product, right? Which is not necessarily a representation of them. But if I flip this question around and ask you, Richard, how do you feel now if people reject you because you're selling yourself, right? Like your services, you're not selling a piece of MarTech or something like that. Like I, I, I feel like that might be the difference. No. So, yeah, I think that, um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm way more connected on my emotions, I think, um, than you are, Scott, you're so stoic. Um, <laughs> or, well, no, but, you know, but Scott, you, you actually have this gear, you know, as a, as an athlete, you and I've talked about this, you have this gear of like, once you're in the zone to try out, you, you're able to block out all these distractors so that you can focus to make sure you do the best. And I know that if you got rejected from that, from the team, which didn't always happen for you, but you would have gone back and said, well, what did I do wrong? Like, where did I miss? Not which, which is not what I do. I focus on the rejection first. And I think a lot of salespeople do, whether it's intentional or unintentional, my muscle memory and my memory and my, how I just think about things is different in that way. Is that, is that harder though now because you're selling you as a product as opposed to a piece of software or something like that? Well, I, it does hurt when I lose and I definitely do, but I think I've figured out when and where I don't. I also have, have, have been able to sort of, you know, fortunately for me, um, and I would say, I, I think for you and, and even for Rachel, because she's in the sales training consulting business, she's doing the same thing is that I think we now have enough confidence in ourselves or the business that it's not going away. You know, we've gotten over the, oh my God, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. What happens if this fails part? Like we're all so successful that that fear isn't there anymore. Right. So, so it's a little bit different. I think um, my well, job, you know, my job's not on the line if I lose a deal. Right. Um, you know that kind of stuff so so Rachel so Richard brought this up but like you work with Keenan and part of, and part of what you're doing is essentially selling his training services right is that correct that training training and consulting and speaking okay what is it like selling somebody else's consulting training speaking services I have no idea. I'm super curious about this. I'm trying to imagine myself right now, like pitching Richard for different events and how the heck I would do that. What, what do people not know about that type of sale that you'd like them to, to hear from you? That's so interesting. I think number one, the, the hardest part of selling sales training and especially working for someone like Keenan where there's literally a book out there that defines 
the sales process and methodology that we teach. So the, the, the expectation then when I'm engaging with a customer is that I'm going to be the most flawless, badass, perfect execution, amazing salesperson and gap seller on the planet, right? And, um, and I'm just me doing the best I can, just like everyone else. And I have good days and bad days and some days I really suck. Some days I can't find the problem. And some days I you know, fall into all the traps that salespeople fall into. And so it's a really unique role because I feel like that number one, I feel this high expectation all the time. Um, and I feel that as well because I represent Keenan, right? If I'm a shitty salesperson, that is such a huge reflection on him. And, um, and my biggest fear, if you will, talking about fear at work, isn't that I, isn't the rejection I face, it isn't anything, it's always me letting my team down. Um, that's always my worst fear, is letting someone that I work with or for down. And so, so it's, a, it's a different level of pressure because when I'm in a sales cycle with a, a prospective client, I'm the demo. I'm essentially the demo, the salesperson, and the product at the same time. And what I mean by that is, um, ideally, right, I should be the type of sales rep that when you're engaged with me, you go, I need my people to sell just like her. I want a million Rachels. Right. Because I'm the product of gap selling training. Right. Right. So it's this whole kind of like matrixy sales world that I am that is really, really unique. I think I think we're all in that. Um, for me, I go very third person in that piece. Right. Like, well, here's here's what Richard does. I, well, sometimes I'll say that. Well, here's how <laughs> Richard's training works. And it works. Right. And it and it gives me. But it also gives me that two centimeters of space between my emotions and what I'm trying to convey. Like it gives me this little bit of space. And for me, that works. What, just out of curiosity, like in a sincere way, like is Keenan a, hey, F you, Rachel, go figure this out? Or is, and I don't think he is, or is he like, all right, well, let's sit down, let's talk about it, right? Does he gap sell you to help you get through a, a struggle your own having, you're already having? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like all leaders, it's hit or miss, right? So some days he's just frustrated and he's frustrated that, you know, the thing about Keenan is that uh, this methodology, it came out of Keenan's head. And so to him, it comes like breathing. And for the rest of us, gap selling sounds easy. And some people think it's like other sales methodologies. I don't. It is very difficult to execute on and there's always this consistent like these consistent growing pains and getting better and better at it but for him it comes so natural so sometimes he gets frustrated and he's like how the fuck don't you know this like why are we having this conversation again how do i have to tell you this right so he definitely has those days um but then other days like this morning um, he's just able to take, you know, watch one of my calls and make comments that are so profound that it just turns the light bulbs on for me, like immediately. And I've been in sales for a couple of decades now, and I was, I'm a better sales manager. I'm a better sales trainer 
than I am an individual contributor. Um, and a lot of that has to do with where my passion lies. And um, so being, so this is my first AE role. So that's insane. Um, uh, so I went sales manager, sales trainer, um, like regional director for like a, a international tech company into AE. So it totally went backwards. And, um, and so I've grown more as a salesperson in like the last six months than I did in the entire two decades. Is it nice and pleasant? Is this coaching always like warm and fuzzy? No, it's fucking Keenan, right? But like, if I came here expecting that, I'm an idiot. What, what is that kind of like, what's, let's talk about an example of good coaching, whether it's yours or Keenan's, because I, I definitely don't want to paint Keenan as some tyrant. He's not. He's brilliant. Um, but with brilliance also comes some challenges, too. But yeah. what is a good example of coaching you said where he says it so profoundly, so eloquently that it resonated? I mean, so we have similar coaching styles in that I think, you know, Number one, coaching always has to be based on observable moments. You can't ever be guessing or making assumptions about what the person is doing when they're out in the field. If you can't see it, you have no business coaching to it. Um, so I think that's number one is all the coaching is based on observable moments of watching me do my job. And then number two, quest, um, gap selling and coaching are not that different right? It's really about asking great questions that get the other person to think about something differently and to realize that they had the answers in themselves all the time. Because if you're giving the answers, then all you're teaching the other person is that they aren't smart enough. They don't know enough. They're not good enough. And you really defeat them in the process, which is the opposite of what you want to happen. So you know, it's, it, it's, it's about taking a moment and going, okay, like, what could you have done differently here to get a different result? And then wait for that answer. And most of the time, the person's going to figure it out. It might take you three or four more questions. But if you can get them to figure it out and give the right answer back to you, then then you not only taught them something that they'll remember forever, but you actually built their confidence up, which is going to in, tour, in turn change the way they interact with their customers. That's really great. Go ahead, Richard, you got one more question. Uh, so, and this, this sort of transitions in, and, and this is, you know, look, I believe me, I have my own business name and I have all this stuff. Have you, have you had the conversation yet with Tina and, it's sort of a little bit of a jab of, hey, you know, we're not just a sales guy anymore, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, it was actually my pitch to Keenan when I came on. So um, I was like, yo, like your, your whole like persona and everything about you is really like I'm a bro from Boston, right? I mean, he's Keenan's like one of the most bro-ish dudes, but without all the like nasty stuff um, like that I've ever met. <laughs> and so it's he has a very masculine, aggressive brand. And then you add a sales guy, which is just completely ironic at this point, because up until a week ago, no men besides Keenan worked at a sales guy. So the entire team is all women. He is the only dude um, until we hired Ryan like a week ago. 
And so that's what I told him. I said, you know, a sales guy needs a sales gal. And not just because the name, yes, is obviously problematic, um, but also there, I felt like there's a whole group of people who they're going to love like your content and what you're saying. They're going to love the things that you're teaching, but they might not love the delivery. And especially I think a lot of women would, would appreciate a different type of delivery of that information. And so I felt like I could really even out the brand and bring in a wider audience that responded to a different type of messaging. But as far as changing the name, I don't know. It seems like that's kind of like difficult at this point, but I agree with you. It's totally whack. Let's, uh, let's go, let's run towards this. Speaking of different type of messaging remark of yours. <laughs> I, so full candor, I did not see this post until three minutes ago when I just pulled it up. I don't know how I missed it because it seems like it has 900 million views, but I never, I never saw it. So when, when Richard said something when we were before the show about this, I'm like, I don't even know what we're talking about here, but I can, I can take a guess. So I'm going to, I'm going to read the quote. Can I read the quote? Sure. Okay. Sure. I love it when a girl with a sexy voice tries to sell me something. So without, I would prefer we leave people's names out of this. It's totally <laughs> up to you, but I'm not yeah, here to dump on these people. You had an experience where you called a VP of sales and that VP of sales said that quote to you and you talked about it and, and posted about it. Not only that, and I had to read this two or three times before I actually figured out how to interpret the CEO's response, but you called the CEO. That CEO had a response that was, quote, I appreciate the call and then hung up on you, right? <laughs> so you talked about this, this whole experience. So I want to give you a chance to, you know, just talk about what happened and this post and how the hell you dealt with like nine bazillion comments and notifications and everything. And just this whole subject in general about misogyny and men acting this particular way towards women in the industry and all this kind of stuff. And I, I have been reading some of the comments and the comments to me are like 10 times more appalling than the quotes, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I yes, but, the, but the comments, the people with those comments have the same mentality as the man who made the comment, right? So it's, it's not the comment, it's what, it's what that says about the mentality of that other person. And, and so that's what it really comes down to. You and, know, and was, unfortunately, how prevalent it is as well, because, you know, there's 1,200 comments in here and not all of them are horrible i'm sure but there's enough of them that are horrible that i stopped <laughs> that you were like i can't read anymore yeah i, I just can't i can't deal <clears throat> yeah. so so yeah i mean anyone can go read the post but it just it's it wasn't that this was some sort of one-off event right i've been in sales a long time i've faced much worse than this right so this is kind of I think to other people looking in, probably a more benign example of the type of like objectifying of women that we face when we go to work. 
and you know there's a lot of comments in there about like oh oh sexual harassment and whether this is sexual harassment or not to me like sexual harassment that's you're talking about legalities okay something does not have to reach that type of illegal level for it to be completely unacceptable and what women face more on a consistent basis is things like this where you're trying to do your job and you work so hard to gain expertise and credibility to be professional you're getting on the phones to make a cold call you know you've done your research you have a great message you really feel like you could help this person and then all of the sudden in that moment it's almost like it's like this you feel like a shock you're just taken back like i listened back to the recording and you could literally hear me go <gasps> Because <laughs> I was just like, what? You know, and, um, you know, it, it's funny because I thought, God, like 10 years ago, this happened to me so frequently, I might not have reacted the same way out of such shock. Because the younger you are, the more it happens to you. That's just the reality because you have less power and you're a more vulnerable target. Um, but in that moment, I just was just so upset that, that I was being disrespected in that way. And my immediate thought was, oh my gosh, literally, I'm not kidding. My immediate thought was, oh my gosh, I need to call this guy's CEO because he deserves to know. He should know that his VP of sales is talking to women this way at work. And so I, I wasn't trying to get him in trouble. Like that wasn't my thought. My thought was like, someone needs to know that this dude is a fucking asshole, right? And so I called the CEO and he just appreciated the call, could like just hung up and complete dismissal. And that's when I realized, like that's when I was like, oh my God, this is probably so pervasive within this organization. And this, um, you know, and this is the problem. The problem is less about the guy and more about the CEO, in my opinion. Because if you look at the, if you look at the, the reaction of my CEO, I think that is, like the most amazing part of this conversation. Did you guys see Keenan's comment? I haven't, I've been a week since I saw this, so I can't remember, what was it? So first of all, let me just preface this of, I have been and women are treated this way on a daily basis by their coworkers, their customers, their bosses. This is every day, right? Um, it's, it's, so, it's so prevalent. But we never say anything. We just laugh. We pretend it's not happening. We let it. We just let it roll right through. Well, there's there's a few comments in there, Rachel, that say you could have just made a joke back to him or something like like that. Yeah, right? and the truth of the matter is, we are taught that so young that I did that for most of my life. That is what I've done. <laughs> You're so silly. Like, I mean, or I just pretend like I didn't hear it and <laughs> just kind of like roll through, you know. But. Um, I think as you get older, you have much less tolerance for that shit. And, but, but why I spoke out in this moment is that I knew I didn't have to, people keep telling me, yo, you're brave. I'm not brave. I'm not afraid of like douchebag comments on, on the freaking. can I say that? Sorry. Um, on the, in the freaking comment section of LinkedIn. And, and I expected all that misogyny to come my way. And I'm certainly not as scared of this dude. Right. Why women don't speak out is because they know their company, their boss will not support them. 
If I worked in any other company, do you think that post would still be up right now? Yeah, I hope not. Or do you think I would have been called into HR immediately, told to take it down, and every man in my company would have labeled me as a troublemaker? Oh, don't invite her out to drinks like with the group. Leave her out of lunch. Oh, everyone be careful around Rachel because she's one of those girls. That's what would happen to me if I worked in corporate America. You, but, you, feel, you, feel, like that, you feel like that's improved at all? Or is this an example that fuck, we haven't made any progress whatsoever. Here's the progress that I think we've made. If you look at those comments, we're talking about the, the, the guys who don't get it, right? But there's also thousands of comments on there by men who stepped up and went, this is unacceptable, this is not okay. Like, and I mean, really hardcore took a stance. Um, the post was, sh was shared like, hundred and something times and predominantly those shares were by men and that would have never happened even five years ago it would have been kryptonite for a man to jump on that post or even like it because he would have been called a sissy or he would have been called a punk because he was supporting a woman in that way I would, I would agree that even two years ago before the me too moment right like i really do think that that's happened there and um first of all i love i love your passion on this it's you know it's I think so many things have happened in the last few years whether it's me too or coronavirus or the climate black change or black lives matter but everybody i think is Murder just like hornets. all this i think everybody's just like i'm fucking done mm -hmm. Whatever bullshit I used to tolerate and let everybody else get away with, that's not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm, calling you, I'm calling you out. You know, you're going to get put on blast publicly, all this kind of stuff. Like, I will say, though, Rachel, my favorite part of the whole thing may be at the very end with <laughs> your snarky comment of how sexy am I now? So, so after you called them, called them, that had me cracking up. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was dragging up. That was all you needed. <laughs> but here's the deal. Like, I was, my fingers were shaking when I was writing that post. Like, I was literally shaking. Um, but in my head, I, all I could think of was this. I experience these things all the time. Like I said, our company is all women. So we, a lot of times, will be on meetings with Keenan, and we're sharing stories. And, you know, our VP of operations is a woman. Everyone always calls her Keenan's assistant. Um, they, they like try and circumvent her to go to him. And that, that girl like runs our company. She is the company. There is no, Keenan is the product. The reason a sales guy exists is because of Brady DeLong and people treat her like she's, you know, his, his kid's sister or something. So we share all these things and he hears them and he always will say to me, like, why don't you speak out on this stuff more? And I told him one time, I said, I'm afraid to, to post things that are controversial because the internet will come for me. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, don't you ever bow down to anyone. And so that post me feeling empowered to speak out is not my bravery. It is because I was empowered to speak out by my boss and I didn't ask him permission to post. I posted it, I sent it to him after the fact and I said, so this just happened. And, <laughs> and he jumped on and he was like, 
I am so proud of Rachel. This is the type of courage and fearless we celebrate at our company. I have daughters. I want them to be just like this. And I support her 100%. And like that is where we need to get to. That type of advocacy is where we need to get to so that women do feel more comfortable speaking out and saying what's happening to them and know that they will have that type of support back. That's the next step to really move the needle as it comes to not just sexual harassment, but just the objectifying of us constantly and treating us like sex objects while we're trying to work. What, what was the, you know, you and I chatted the day this happened and, you know, I tried really hard to like, I wanted, this happened on a Friday, I think. And I was like, Scott, we got to, we got to interview her on Saturday and let's drop this. <laughs> like, let's do it live. Like, let's go. We just couldn't make it work. Um, but um, what you, you shared some messaging with me back and forth about just some of the messages that you've gotten from women, um, obviously without naming names or, or saying anything that's, that uh, would identify anybody or another company. Um, what were some of the things offline that was happening that you were hearing from? Because I want, I want people to know that like, this is just a thing, right? Like this is a moment in a quick moment, but it's happening daily. Like how many, how many messages do you even think you got privately? I mean, thousands. Really? Um, yeah. From men and from women. Um, and some of the stories from women were heartbreaking. I had a woman reach out to me and tell me she was raped by her HR director. Um, I had women telling me, you know, their stories of having a boss who was constantly, you know, making comments about, you know, their bot, her body, and, um, you know, her her clothes, and, you know, making just kind of lewd comments. And then she went to HR, and no one would listen to her. And then she was let go shortly afterwards. Uh, uh, um, one gal said that, you know, she was prospecting and a guy told her, you know, if you send me a picture of your blank, then I'll give you a meeting. Um, I mean, it was, it ranged all the way across the board and, um, from, you know, very extreme to less extreme. But again, I just have to point out that whether it's the guy grabbing your ass as you're walking down this, down the hallway or, saying, oh yeah, I love it when a girl with a sexy voice tries to sell me something, or or the guy who's, you know, firing you because you wouldn't go out with him, right? All of these all come from the same mentality. They're just more varying degrees of action that comes from the same mentality. And that mentality is, I as a man, you as a woman, you are not equal to me, and I am entitled to treat you in a sexual manner. That's the mentality. And it's going to manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. And the only way to stop it is to point it out. I don't like calling people out. I, I, I felt very, I'm not into the shaming, blaming, cancel, cold. I'm not into any of that shit, okay? But there just comes a point where you realize that if people aren't held account, then the, the behavior doesn't change. And if there's, you know, people kept telling me, deal with it privately in the comments. Well, that I've dealt with it privately for 20 freaking years. And these stories that these women were sharing with me, let me know that dealing with privately isn't getting us anywhere. We've got to continue to speak out and we've got to work with our male allies. We've got to 
um, hold people accountable, not just in the most extreme cases, but, but go after when you see the mentality in someone, that person should not work for you. Like if they have that mentality of men and women are not equal, then they gotta go, no tolerance. So, so let, let's, let's shift a little bit. Um, you know, I commented on that post and I, I specifically tagged some leaders at that company, right? Who were female. <laughs> I tagged their head of HR. Um, I, I, I remember, and again, if you don't want to go this path, we won't, but you know, I know you had said you'd heard from HR over there too. Have you heard of anything else or are you kind of done? Like, you know what? I did my piece. I've done my job. They need to go fix this shit. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Yeah, I mean, they did reach out, which was which was nice, I guess. I mean, I'm sure it was more damage control than anything. But yeah, I don't really have any, I don't want to go. My hope is that if there is systematic sexism happening within that organization, that this experience saved some other women from that. And my other hope is that somehow this person um, or these two gentlemen learn something through this experience and change their behavior as a result. It's funny, I know that's I, very hopeful, but. I almost went to the city and find all the newspapers and find all the TV stations and say, hey, this just happened in your town. Like I almost sent that email to people. And then I was like, <laughs> it's not my story. Like it's not, yeah. it's not about Richard and how upset Richard is. It's I love like, that though, Richard. Grr, I love that. That's um, like. That's like hardcore shit right there. <laughs> so I've, I've, you have kids, right? Yes. Men, boys, girls, both? I have all sons. Okay, how many? Three. All right, so so Scott and I do two, well, we each have two two boys. Uh, and I know what's, what Scott's wife, Janet, and my wife, Kathy, do. How are you raising your sons to not be this way? Because I think it's really important that people know that some of this is educating up high, but some of it's educating early. I think that's an excellent point because I said something to Keenan the other day. Um, I just was like, you know, if you, this is horrible to say, um, but if you look at the, the nastiest comments on that post that are filled with the most misogyny, they all seem to be a little vintage and a little white. Um, so um, I was like, you know, We're that's you right interrupting. By the way, sorry let me just say it. That's sorry you. Sorry to interrupt you, but that surprises no one. I know. <laughs> Everyone is like, I know. Oh, I know. So I don't want to sound like ageist or anything, or put everyone in a category. But you know, at some point, I was like, God, Keenan, like, at some point, we just need to let all these people die off. Because on, to be quite honest with you, I don't like this. Does not happen to me from the younger generation. Now, maybe that's because I'm an old broad now and maybe younger girls are having those experiences with younger gentlemen, but, um, but he said to me, he said, don't count on that theory. He's like, because all of them have kids and this is how they raise their children. Yeah, and, that makes sense to me. I mean, I would just think about like the generations in like the 60s and stuff like that and people who are kids in the 60s and everybody was like, oh, when those kids who grew up in the 60s were a part of all this revolutionary progress, when those kids are old and gray and running the country, things will be better. Uh, now, look at us now. That'll work out. That'll work out. But that, but I, so, uh, which is true, because like, you know, I've talked to some, 
friends and, and cousins of that age who were like the Woodstock generation. And even the women said, yeah, even you know, I have a couple of friends who went to us like, yeah, the misogyny is still there. Like it was still there, even in that counterculture, peace, love everybody thing. Like it's, it was just been so ingrained. It has, but, but yeah, it was, it was my boys. But I want to, I want to. I want to hear what are you teaching your boys? What like if there's a woman or a husband, or a man who has kids and they have boys, what are you teaching them? What would you teach a daughter? You know those kind of, like I want I want people to understand that we can solve this problem. It may not go as fast as we want, but we can solve. It. So I'm really proud of the. So I've been a single mom most of my life, and I was a very young mom. So I I was on like the the teen mom train. I was like 19. And so my boys do have the benefit of they've had, they've been raised by a woman predominantly. And um, I think like uh, sons of single moms seem to have in large part a different view of women. Um, yes, exactly. Um, because they see their, they see the woman in their life, the first woman in their life as someone who like works their face off and does it all and doesn't need anyone to rescue them. And you know what I mean? They have a totally different view of a woman. Um, my sons went with what, me. What dating advice are you? I'm assuming your kids are. Some of them are 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 now dating, right? Are there? Yeah. Well, I have a well, I have one that turned 21 yesterday, and I have an 18 year old. So what did you, what did you teach the 15 or 16 year old kid about when he's going on his first date, right? What are you teaching him? You know those kinds of things. I mean, I feel like that stuff is easy. The first date stuff is easy. Um, you know, it's about I teach them about consent. I teach them, you know, about, uh, you know, how to treat a, a lady like a lady. And I, I do still like a little chivalry in my life. So, um, you know, I teach them all of those things and respect and all of that. But it's the harder conversations, I think, that are important. So, for example, you know, I my 18-year-old, he has a little jealous bone in his body. He's a little, he likes to get a little possessive um, of, of when he's dating a gal. And so he'll get, he'll get jealous and then he'll come to me and he'll go, mom, like, you know, me and so-so got in an argument the other day because, you know, whatever, she, 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 all these guys are looking at her and, you know, we're walking by and all these guys are looking at her and they, they, you know, I, I can tell what they're thinking and these guys are texting her and all this stuff. And, you know, she, it really bothers me. And then she gets mad that it bothers me. You know, it's those conversations where you really have a chance to tap into kind of these underlying attitudes right so then i have to explain to her that number one you know number one if you don't want a woman that other men look at then you know i, I don't know what to tell you because that's not a thing right so like other men are looking at your woman all the time because um, that's not a thing <laughs> that's not a thing like, so you know, uh, you're, this, this gal you're spending time with, she's quite adorable. Just anticipate and take it as a compliment. And that's what it is. Take it as a compliment for her, not you, because you didn't have anything to do with it. And, um, 
And it's not your place to say who she talks to or who texts her. And if somebody is being inappropriate with her, then she's fully capable of handling that situation. She does not need you to jump in and handle that situation. So if someone is getting violent and you're around, now that might be a different situation. But you don't need to be the person to stand up and be like, you know, defending her all the time or, um, you know, telling other men how they can or cannot interact with her. So I think it's like, it's, it's in those, it's in those deeper conversations where the opportunity is, you know, my son, I remember the first women's march and my boy at that time, how long ago was that? I mean, COVID years, I don't know any time anymore, but that's five years ago. So he was like 13. And so I'm like, we're going to the women's march. Like here is a sign and some markers, right? Whatever you want. And, um, and the sign that he made said, not in my locker room. And this was at the time with the tape and everyone's oh, that's locker room talk, you know? And I just knew in that moment that I had done a really good job. And because not in my locker room means if I'm there, and I hear men speaking in this way, I'm not gonna tolerate it. And so I think we teach our boys not to harass women and we teach them you know, not to, to be respectful themselves, but I think we miss teaching them how to, how to influence the other men around them to not disrespect women and what their role is in standing up to that. Powerful stuff. That's Richard, awesome. Richard and I will be asking you for parenting advice in the coming months. I, I think you're going to get a lot of messages around that. How um, old are your kids? 12 and 10 for me. Uh, Both of them. Yeah. Well, listen, here's the best thing about them growing up. It's like you just spend their whole lives being like, I'm definitely fucking this up. They're definitely going to be a total disaster. Like, uh, it's like, what's going to happen? And you're just scared all the time. And then they grow up and you're like, oh my God, like you feel so much relief. Like, oh my God, you're a good, decent, contributing member of society who treats other people with respect. Like, rock on. I mean, you just finally get to be like, I did it. I did it. It's over. I did it. It's never over. But, you know, the, the development of who they are as a person and how much you can influence that is pretty closed at about uh, 17. So it's nice to look back at all that work and be like, okay, everything turned out okay, despite the fact that I'm a total disaster. <laughs> That's great. Oh my God, this has been a, a fascinating conversation and we, we sort of like it's flown by. Um, so we, we do need to wrap, but um, I, I think I know the obvious answer. I, I forgot to tell you this at the beginning, but we always do turn, turn around and say, hey, how can we help you, right? How can we help Rachel? How can we help a sales guy? How can we help Keenan? How can we help? Is there a cause you are supporting, um, whether it's around this or something completely different, right? Um, but how, how can we be helpful to you? I mean, I don't know, both of you have been, I literally just met the two of you today and you both have been there at crossroads in my life. We have never met and you both showed up for me at times when I was making really big life decisions and I reached out to you as strangers. So, um, I don't know what else you could do, but just keeping your amazing selves and being advocates for for change like you always are. I mean, I just, both of you guys, I have the utmost respect and admiration, so. Thank you. Thank you for that. We, we do appreciate it. 
uh, we, we are, uh, we definitely got to give a shout out to Keenan uh, for letting us pick on him a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we know you're coming on the show pretty soon too. Um, but thank you for letting us do that. And he's got, a, he's got a, he's got a high bar to live up to now. He does, man. He's going to have to bring it. Like yeah. he better need, he better, he always need, does. You know, he better bring some more Red Bull for, for our show with us. Um, with that being said, thank you for going deep on a really important topic that has not gone away and shared some stories and, uh, we're, you know, I, I'm, I'm so proud of you for doing it. I'm proud to know you and know you even more now from it. So, you know, thank you for giving us your time and your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rachel. All right. Thanks, we guys. Will see you.